0: Hi, folks. In the spirit of releasing shows on people's birthdays, I'd like to wish a very happy birthday to Frank Sinatra.
1: Yours too, asshole. Yeah, it is that too. So I got something really special for you.
0: No. Oh, really? Okay. Okay. All right, folks. Welcome back. This is Corey. And this is Dave.
2: And this is Scott. Praise Satan. Praise Satan. Mm. Praise. Praise
0: Satan, Dump. indeed. And yes. it. And it. So, welcome back to Musical Shenanigans. Uh, doing what it is we do. Dave? Yes, doing what it is we do.
3: So, if you're new to the show, or if you just are maybe a prior listener and just need to recap, so here's what we're doing. We have taken the Rolling Stones list of 500 greatest albums of all time, and we randomly select 192 of those, which we seeded into a bracket, and we have been pitting them head to head. So in each round, what we have is two albums go in, one album comes out, Uh, We debate the relative merits of each album, we take a vote, we declare a winner. Uh, The winner moves on to the next round, the loser is done. And we are going to keep doing this until ultimately the three of us come up with our selection for greatest album of all time. So Corey, you want to tell us about our first matchup for the
0: day? Yep, so we have two matchups per show, and the first matchup is going to be Whole, Live Through This. Taking on Jeff Buckley's Grace. And without any nonsense from me, we're just going to go straight Let's into dive the hole. Into that hole. Yeah. Ah. <laughs>
2: right in. It's wide open. You could drive a truck in there. Well, so much could be said about Courtney Love. But let's kind of focus on the album. This was recorded while Cobain was still alive, right? Yeah. 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 They yes. were still,
3: He's still still alive. They were still married.
2: And they said he actually ghost wrote a couple of songs.
3: Yeah, there was this rumor out there that some of these songs, and I remember hearing it when this album came mm-hmm. out. I remember hearing the rumor that, that Kurt Cobain had really written all these songs. And yeah. uh, Courtney Love pretty strongly denied that. And um, it's it actually kind of funny. I like the way she denied it. She basically said, look... He's better than I am. If he had written them, the songs would have been better, which I I, frankly, my personal view is I tend to agree, actually. But but it is a good
2: album. It is.
0: And Kurt did do backup vocals. And when he showed up to the studio in Atlanta, they said, hey, can you do some backing vocals for the on on these tracks? He immediately said, well, I don't know what any of these songs are, which to me is the wrong answer. Any musician goes, all right, play it through. I'll see what I can do for you. He was just a little too defensive too quickly.
3: Oh, interesting. Interesting. So you think that was a little
0: bit of a tell, that maybe he did have a hand in some of these? I think so. I think that a couple of the songs just kind of have his feel to it. Even Doll Parts could have been a Nirvana song.
3: You know why I kind of disagree with that? Because I really do kind of give into this, that comment that I made earlier about how Cobain was the better writer. As I listen to this, and I actually listened to this one twice coming into this, it's a good album, but Cobain's writing could be, it could be a little bit, you had to think about it a little bit to sort of sometimes see what he was going for. But you could always sort of suss out what he was going for. Courtney Loves Writing is not the same. There's a lot of this, the lyrics on this, where it's like, Okay, I get that she's using a lot of imagery, like you hear. There's a ton of songs that refer to Milk over and over again. But it's <laughs> it is it's a lot less accessible than Cobain's lyric writing. I, I a lot of these yeah. songs, they listen to you for three minutes and have no fucking idea by the end of the song what the hell she was singing about.
2: I agree there, definitely.
0: Yeah, I don't think he was responsible for any lyrics. I think he was responsible for music. Oh, yes. yeah. I was just going to say, Corey, that... yeah. That, to me,
2: the music seems... Definitely some of the guitar riffs are definitely more Nirvana-esque.
0: Well, that's why I said Doll Parts. So, Not the lyrics, but right, definitely right. that that riff, that whole... The, the whole feel of that song was yeah. just... I don't know. I, I, I It well, gave me a Nirvana vibe. It gave me a I'm Kurt vibe. I'm sure the
2: vibe. words are all hers. <laughs> <laughs> they sound very Courtney. It's like, I'm a heroin whore. <laughs> oh,
1: you know, I think Sorry, probably anyway. the other thing that
3: probably partly fed that rumor is the timing of this, because this album came out four days after Cobain had shot himself. And so Cobain was in True. the news, you know, for at least in music circles, was in the news for weeks afterwards, of course, because he, he, he killed himself mm-hmm. pretty violently to the point where even there was this conspiracy theory for a while that maybe actually Courtney Love had killed him and faked his suicide. Right. And so I. I kind of feel like maybe that sort of fed into the rumor too just because Cobain's name was so out there at the time. People wanted to believe that he ghost wrote, written it just so they could tell themselves there was another hidden Nirvana album out there basically.
0: I felt like maybe they could have waited for the release. I don't know. They're in the business. Kurt's name is in the press. She's she's the widow. She has a new album and they're going to run with it. It's going to make money. It got her a lot of press. That's true. Yes. Be that
2: good or bad, it, it was there, you know, as they say any press is good press. So. <laughs> I would actually like suggest that I this is
3: a good album, but I don't know if it wouldn't would have gone quite as far had it not been for the whole Kurt Cobain suicide.
2: Probably not. And just the the fact he was married to yes. her as
3: well. Which kind of sucks for her because I will say that like for my criticisms of the lyrics earlier you know, she was a talented songwriter. She, mm. I, I presumably, she still is. I, I haven't heard her make music in a while, but she was a talented songwriter, and she did kind of have to live in his shadow because he was basically in the early '90s. Kurt Cobain was sort of like the the God Savior of music for a lot of people. So
2: very true, very true. So
3: I do think she had it a little bit rough, not just for the inherent sexism in the industry, but also for sort of you know having to deal with being not her own person but rather constantly seen as kurt cobain's wife
2: right right and she oh she's the widow of cobain right so she's got to be okay
0: i will say even though i think that kurt probably helped with a couple of these like musically but the lyrics i mean they are personal and they're raw Mm -hmm. they are and there's something to be said about that i think we always agree that if something has a raw sound and not overly produced it's We're gonna like it better.
3: Isn't that funny? What one of the tracks on this is called? I forget what it's called. It's like the last track, rock, rock and roll it's star or something like that. It, but it, it, I wanted, I wanted to say, I wanted to say it was called Olympia. But I just realized that, like, she just, she just says over and over again that she grew up in Olympia and she went to school in Olympia. And it's sort of a commentary on the whole sort of music scene and everything was coming out of Washington at the time. And it's funny that. When I got to that, I was reminded of conversations that we've had about Slater-Kinney because really Courtney Love and Hole were doing a lot of the same thing in the sense that they were using sort of a punk sound with feminist themes and sort of talking about how hard it is to be a woman in the music industry and in society just generally. But the difference is, did it way better than Slater-Kinney, in my opinion. I've had my criticisms of Slater-Kinney in the past. The the anger here is much more at the surface, and so it's really much
0: more of a true punk
3: album than Slater-Kinney.
0: The anger is palpable. The other joke about Courtney Love is the album is, you know, it sounds like the producers that make the album. So as much as, you know, kind of Kurtz, the ghostwriter here, it has a little bit of her sound, but the producers, Paul K. and Sean Slate also worked with Pixies, Radiohead, Dinosaur Jr., yeah. And this album kind of has that sound, whereas like her next album, it's Billy Corgan, and they say, "Well, that's her Smashing Pumpkins." Yeah, album. there were a
3: couple of points in this where I was thinking, "God, this sounds All like right. Pixies," and I didn't—I didn't find out until after the fact, actually, that uh, there was a tie-in there. All right, what else do we have to say about uh, Courtney Hole? Anything else?
2: Courtney Hole, love, um, <laughs> Courtney's love hole. Oh well, Courtney's love hole was quite. She doesn't get to go on the rocket. I mean, she kind of deserves to be on the rocket, but not really. I kind of—I I will say—I kind of reassessed
3: her. I, as I was listening to this, I—I—I oh, yeah? I, I really kind of took a negative view of Courtney Love for a lot of years. But actually, when we were prepping for the show and I was doing a lot of the reading about some of the struggles she had and really how hard she worked to try to make a name for herself completely independently of Kurt, I don't know, a little bit. A little bit more she did. for her maybe than I
0: had before. To be perfectly honest, she raised money to record their first demo by stripping.
2: Go her! I mean, you know, th- I mean that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, she really. She originally yeah, wanted yeah. To, to name the band uh, "Sweet Baby Crystal," powered by God. Yeah,
3: that's, <laughs> that's a that, mouthful. That looks good on a flyer.
0: Yeah, yeah. but then then she said, "Hole came because she was inspired by the Euripides uh, quote from Medea." There's a hole that pierces right through me. That's cool. Her mom used to say she couldn't live her life with a hole running through her. And then, of course, the obvious genital reference that we've been playing Uh, on this whole time. Well, yeah, I think that's... uh, Like, we have
3: a choice? I think that's (laughs) what most people assumed it meant, honestly, when the band came out. Right. It had a deeper meaning.
2: Oh, things get dark quickly. (laughs) When
3: you're in a hole uh jeff buckley's grace let's talk about jeff buckley
2: he's
0: dead jeff buckley i think what a dipshit what mm, the bigger story behind this is jeff buckley's life it's not only this album because it's the only (laughs) album he really did there are others that have come out there's live things that he did there's other things that his his own mother has put out posthumously he died quote-unquote accidentally through an impulsive swim in the in the mississippi river fully clothed But I'm going to come back to that. So his father, Tim Buckley, he met him only once when he was eight years old. That was also a singer-songwriter. They spent a week together when he was eight. And not too long after that, his dad passed away at 28. Jeff grew up with with music in his life. His mother's a classically trained pianist and cellist. His top father shared his Zeppelin albums, Queen, Hendrix, The Who, and, and Pink Floyd with him. The first album he ever owned was a Led Zeppelin album, Physical Graffiti. So he started the guitar at five... And by the time he's in high school, he's already listened to prog rock. He says he wants to be a musician. So let's fast forward to 91. He he landed a gig where every Monday night at this club called Cine, or Cine, I don't know how it's pronounced. He did eclectic covers from Zeppelin, Dylan, Elton John, The Smiths, Bad Brains, Susie Sue. So I mention this because we now get to the album Grace. An album that is eclectic by every mean, because this album is literally all over the place. Yep. And, of course, it was complimented by the likes of Jimmy Page, Robert Plant, David Bowie saying, you know, it's al- one of the ten albums he would have on a desert island. He got a lot of great mm. accolades for this. So now, let's go back to the night in Memphis. He's preparing to create a follow-up to Grace, and if the name hadn't already been taken, the perfect name for this for the second album would have probably been Grace Under Pressure. Three years after touring, his recording label is telling him, we need a follow-up. We need another we need another album. So he's on edge, he's upset, he's shaky, according to his friends. He wanted to be as good as his father is another comment he made, because now it's he's 30 years old, his dad died at 28, he's got death on the mind. and he goes out into the Mississippi, he's singing whole lot of love so I call you back to Led Zeppelin being the first album he owned, and we look at some of the lyrics on a couple of these songs on this album. Dream Brother, the lyrics say, asleep in the sand with the ocean washing over, and in the song Eternal Life, Eternal Life is now on my tail, got red glitter coffin man, just need one last nail. So I say to you, as Elliot Smith's murder was called a suicide, Jeff Buckley's suicide was ruled an accidental death
2: okay yeah
0: and what are you saying
2: well no he had he he was an interesting dude in that respect
0: but getting to this album it is all over the place and i think that it is because (laughs) he pulled in everything everything he ever listened to is is in here somewhere.
3: It It is. And yeah. I, there's probably no better example of that than one of the tracks is Corpus Christi Carol, which is a old religious song that dates from the 15th century that Benjamin mm. Britten reworked in 1930s and uh, and came up with a, a more sort of more modern English version, but still basically the same song. And to hear Buckley go from, first he goes, there are, There are rock songs in this album. There are like sort of slow torch songs on this album. And then all of a sudden he launches into this melody that is a, a medieval church music, basically. It's, it's, it's almost hard to wrap your head around. And frankly, I think in some ways, it, it's actually one of the drawbacks of the album. He's trying to do so much and he's so all over the place here that there's really no sort of consistent Theme. If we're judging this as an album as a whole, there's no sort of consistent overarching theme or 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 mood to the whole thing. You know what I mean? It's
0: very distracting. Yeah. Yeah. This was an album that said by various artists. That'd be a different story. But you're right. Torch song. Exactly. It's like all of a sudden he's channeling Judy Garland.
2: Yeah. The the whole thing just certainly doesn't have any cohesiveness. But I mean, the, the thing that does blend it though is his voice. The guy could sing. And I, you know. Yeah, he could definitely sing. I don't care for that falsetto sound; I'm just not my thing. No,
3: I. And you're not, and you're not alone. Actually, I. Uh, I when I was doing prep for this show, I actually found an article online by a guy named Simon Sweetman, who I don't know who that is, but I give him a shout out because it's his quote, not mine. He said. <laughs> Uh Jeff Buckley's voice quote sounds like Eddie Vedder cured his laryngitis but only by gargling Led Zeppelin albums while drinking down total asshole juice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so good. it's not for
3: everybody in other words. It's not. No,
0: no. At the same time another artist Duncan Sheik came out with his first album that had kind of the same voice but it wasn't it it wasn't as annoying. This one was like okay he kept doing it and it's like your vocal range where you should be is beautiful it's great stay there will you
2: that's true please oh Oh. that's true
0: (laughs) i listened to it multiple times i kept trying to find someone like david bowie wants this as a desert island album maybe it's because it's eclectic and all over the place maybe because there's something else that you can find on each subsequent listen there is that but to me it's a distraction yeah well like i said i i I, there's no
2: accounting for taste mr bowie
3: i mean scott you use the right word the word that i was searching for earlier is is coherence and it's just not there um and so if we're judging this as an album whole for me that's a that's a downside i also think you know I, i said earlier that i think maybe the whole album got a little bit of a boost from cobain's death uh, I I don't know if this album would have sold as many copies had it not been for the fact that this guy you know dies in a tragic possibly accident in in at the age of thirty. Um, Weird
0: boating accident yes. or swimming? Or- yeah, swimming. swimming with his clothes on, with his boots on, and he's wading yeah. out in the water. The guy and his like, you know his Brody his that's with him is on the shore screaming at him, telling him this is. They said stupid. the autopsy
2: showed no drugs or alcohol.
0: Slight trace of alcohol, but not enough okay. to not enough to have, yeah. like completely hindered him in the yeah, water
3: crazy, yeah, and crazy at the time stuff. he was you know Corey, you mentioned he was working on a follow up of the album, and he was actually working with another artist we've talked about before, Tom Verlaine from television, who, as we previously established, is, is an, an asshole, asshole. <laughs> yeah the other the other drawback of this album, and I don't really blame Buckley for this, but Uh, There is a version of Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah on here, which is actually, out of the thousands of versions of of that song, this is probably one of the better ones. It really is. However, I will tell you, um, as somebody—so I have a background on me. I spent some time in the theater world back when I was in college. If you are a young actor or actress who is getting ready to audition for the musical— and you come in and sing hallelujah, I'm going to get out of my chair and walk across the room and slap the shit out of you. Every actor and actress wants to do it as their audition piece. It's You can't do it. You cannot do it justice the way Jeff Buckley did. Stop. Find something else. We th- There have been enough versions of hallelujah. We're, we're all full here. Thank you.
0: You know, when you said that, Dave, I just imagined you as a Michael Douglas in a chorus line storming up to the stage or into this like third stanza by the time he gets up on stage. They're singing and he just slaps them. The difference is, the difference is I hate
3: musicals so I'd never
0: direct one in the first place, but... It's time to sink this round. All right, Scott, you vote first.
1: Hello, Benevolent Satan here. Scott has been quiet for the past four minutes because he stopped recording at that point and everything forward is absolutely clementine therefore i am going to let you know in my benevolence and omnipotence what his vote would be first he would tell you how listening to jeff buckley made him want to slam his dick in the door ahem slam his dick in the door
0: right sorry
1: thank you and that his vote would be for dearest courtney and her By the way, Kurt says hi. Now i with the rest of the votes.
0: Okay, I'm second, and I'm also I'm gonna give it to Courtney. All right, well,
3: doesn't really matter then what I think, but uh, I, I the interesting thing for me is I, I listened to both of these twice. I actually didn't love either one of them the first listen, and on the second listen, they both grew on me a little bit, and I. F- think on the whole i for for me actually it would have been the jeff buckley album but again doesn't matter because uh because it's already decided
0: i considered it but there was just it's too much hype i felt like courtney really gave something personal of herself on that yes despite the timing and and all that's true okay well hello there folks this is the end of this show. You will have to come back another time for the other half when we will try to re-release our discussion on Joni Mitchell and Janis Joplin. Because Scott's recording, as Satan told you, is absolutely gone and cannot be retrieved. Use this time to reclaim some of your life back. And we'll have another show out for you soon. Merry holidays. Praise Satan. Don't get run over.